Welcome to Interparty Conflict, the podcast where we answer your questions so you can have the best tabletop gaming experience possible. My name is Gabe. And my name is Jeff. And we're going to answer your questions today. But first, I have a question, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Do we have a Discord? We do have a Discord. <laughs> that is a very good question. Yes, we do. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm not more, more on that in a second. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm uh, uh, as as seems to always be the case lately. I'm uh, I have a little bit of a sinus infection. Ugh. I think. Oh, no. So um, so yeah. If if I have to make some weird edits to cover some coughing or something, sure. I apologize. How and, dare you? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> other than that, you know, I'm just just super busy. I won't say exactly what uh, is going going on, but next week. You and I are going to be very well, me especially, but you and I, you and I both are going to be very busy. Yeah. But yeah. So as we, as we, as we hinted at, sure. Uh, yes, we have a, a discord now. Yeah. Yeah. We have a discord started it up. Um, uh, I guess by the time this episode goes out about two weeks ago. Yeah. About, yeah. I think it's about maybe about a week ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, anybody's welcome to join us on discord. You can find the, uh, invitation link on, um, on our uh, subreddit. Yeah, on the subreddit, I think you posted it on Facebook. Yeah, also put it on Facebook. Um, I think it'll probably be easier to find it on the subreddit. So Pro- probably, Reddit, yeah. Reddit.com slash r slash interparty conflict. Yeah. And it'll, you know, maybe it'll be a couple posts down. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll, we'll pin it or something. But yeah, and it's it's not patron only. I know that uh, Patreon does, like, they, they do offer, like, uh, you know, a, a very easy integration for mm-hmm. patrons and such. Um, I purposely chose not to have it be part of our Patreon early on just because like I'm already doing a lot of stuff. I don't know if we had a discord. I wasn't sure if I would be able to devote a lot of time to it. And I felt like if it was a Patreon reward, then there would be a lot more. um, You'd you'd feel more responsible to. to, Yeah. A lot more responsibility to to be active on it. Right. If people would like to be a part of it, that's awesome. But I don't want to. I don't want to feel like, oh, I have, well, I have to post something on the Discord because <laughs> people are paying to, to be there, you know. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's open to everybody. Um, we might do some form of Patreon, like, rewards in, in there somewhere. Yeah, like I, maybe something extra for if you are yeah, a patron. Hey, but we had nothing nothing solid at this point. So, for right now, it's just a place for you to, like, if you guys want to post questions, mm-hmm. um, you know, magic items, stories for the funeral pyre, that's just another place you can do that. Yeah. And, and also, it's, it's another outlet for, I'll be posting the social media questions there as well. Right, yeah. So, you can discuss that. And then just general chatter is fine. You know, obviously, you know, just, you know, don't. You know, be be kind, don't spam, and all yeah. that good stuff. So just you know, we're we're you know we're hoping you guys can join us. Yeah, and within the first twenty four hours, we got a, a few people on there, yeah. and uh, you know, not not super active as of yet, but yeah. hey, it's it's something, and it's it's cool. It's a, it's a place for me to like throw up weird complaints about fifth edition <laughs> rules. Uh, sure, sure. I, like I just went on a rant yes the other day. So yeah, I was like, what is going on? Ah. Um, it's also worth mentioning that this is the first episode that we've recorded since the stream, right? Oh, because we, we record we did the stream right after we recorded the last episode. <laughs> yeah, where we were like, yeah, that the stream already happened. Yeah, but, but it <laughs> has been a little timey wimey for and, the last ones, and it almost didn't happen. Like I knew there was going to be some sort of snafu. Yeah, but we it, ran into some technical difficulties at the within the last couple minutes before yeah, it was supposed to oh, go up. So aggravating, but it went up, and then it didn't get recorded, so nobody can see it again. Yeah. So, uh, so for anybody who was because we've been talking about, oh, it's going to be on our our youtube channel the friend quest channel so right. anybody can go and watch it at any point and number one um we didn't realize that when you <laughs> stream to a youtube channel you have to set the 
channel to be streaming. And then once you set it, you have to wait 24 hours before you can actually stream on it. Right. Yeah. Cause like I, I hadn't, we hadn't, I hadn't used the front quest channel to stream. So mm-hmm. like I, 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 and then like my personal channel was the one we were kind of testing stuff on. Yeah. Yeah. And I never, I don't remember ever streaming on that before. So like my mind was like, I had no idea that there was going to be like, I, I had to enable it or something. Yeah. So it was like, it was like, oh crap, it's not enabled. What? All right. Oh, I found the button to enable it. Wait, 24 hours. <laughs> so you had to end up having to make a Twitch channel. Is that correct? Yeah. I very quickly made a Twitch t- channel, which yes. is just friend quest stream. Is yeah. All one so, word. so for anybody who, who was there for it, it was on a Twitch channel rather than our YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And then after it was over, <laughs> I, uh, because the test streams I was doing on YouTube automatically upload the video. Yeah. My mind just assumes that Twitch would be the same, but Twitch, you have to set it to upload, to record the video and upload it. So, right. it's, so it's, you know, and then there's a way to put it from Twitch to YouTube. Yeah. But because that didn't record because I didn't set it to record. There's no video. So very, very sorry for anybody who missed it and wanted to watch it. Yes. But, but now we know what the heck we're doing. And I definitely want to do that again. Absolutely. That was, it was a lot of fun. Also, I, I had a couple of people mention that the, uh, the, our audio capture of ourselves wasn't the greatest. We, mm. It was just kind of an experimental yeah. set up a couple of mics and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think I had it set up a little too quiet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so like, cause the, um, the game audio was, was very variable. Some games were sure. quieter than others, sure, some were sure. louder. So like, I think, um, I think, you know, better, better mic placement and, uh, maybe, maybe like bump it up a little bit and that would have helped. So, yeah. So like, I didn't get any complaints. Just people, a couple of people were like, you know, Hey, if, if it were a little bit louder, that would have been, you know, yeah, nice. So, so yeah, that's, so, yeah. Easy, you know. Easily fixed next time. Yeah. So there definitely will be a next time yeah. and we will, uh, it will be recorded next time. Hopefully. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we'll just do it to the Twitch again or if we'll do it on YouTube this time. Oh, that's a good question. There are supposedly ways to get him to stream to both at the same time. Mm. I'll have to talk to, I'll have to talk to Petey about that. Cause he mentioned yeah. something like that. Petey. Yeah. Our, our good friend, Peter, uh, yeah. was was there playing with us he also he does a lot of streaming himself yeah he's on uh twitch uh, twitch.tv slash uh, generic gamer i believe yes. is his and he um actually watched him play uh the uh, monster hunter on switch not cool. too long ago and it cool. was kind of fun all right um well uh you want to go ahead and get into the episode sure sure all right so gabe Yes, you, Jeff. You just uh, you just completed your first adventure. Ooh, awesome! Uh, you know, you got uh, you you come you came out of a cave and your and your and your backpack and your belt pouch and everything is just full of treasure. Ooh, that's what I like. Oh man, it's just a lot of treasure. You got your, but it's kind of weighing you down. So you're like, you know, I need to find a way. I need to put this somewhere. And uh, you're so you're walking down the road. You're heading back into town. You're like, um. I was kind of thinking about buying some magic items or something, but I don't quite mm. have enough for that one I had my eye on. So I gotta I gotta put this somewhere safe. Yeah. And you pass by a it's a it's a big building. It's got big white columns. Ooh. And a, you know a big uh, are those a, are those Doric columns? Doric columns. I think that's one of the types <laughs> of columns. Sorry, go on. <laughs> like you know, big columns reaching up high to a to a placard at the top that's uh, written in. Um, you're not quite sure what language that is. It's not. Hmm. It's not common or elvish. Uh, yeah, who knows? It's probably Sylvan. So, uh, it, you yeah, know. you know what? Probably is. Um, but there's a, there's a man outside uh, out front that says like, oh, oh, step right in, sir. I see you're heavy with treasure. 
uh, you know, yeah, here this is a this is a place. This is a it's a uh, it's a bank. We can uh, oh we can store all of your treasure here and keep it safe, and you can come and retrieve it at any point. Awesome. So you walk in there, and there's a you know there's a big line of people waiting up to go to the test. So you're just like, always got to wait in line. Yeah, but uh, but you know those people they they don't they don't really have most of them don't have much. Then maybe like a like a small coin purse with a few copper and silver in it. But uh, there's a there's a man in a in a suit. Ooh. Uh, walks up to you and says, "You sir, you sir look like an adventurer." Why, yes, I am, you, sir. You, uh, you got a hefty amount of gold there. Why don't you, uh, why don't you step in here? We'll, uh, we'll get you set up with a, uh, with a VIP account. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Uh, so you, you, you walk, you walk, you follow him over to his desk, and uh, behind his desk is a giant safe. Hmm. And so he looks uh, secure. Yeah, it's a very, very. He's like, sir, we're gonna, we, you know, he he sits you down and he has you fill out some forms, and then he uh, and he's like, all right, sir, we'll you know we'll deposit your we'll deposit your treasure here. It'll be safe with us. And so he snaps his finger, and then uh, out, and, and then uh, the vault swings open, Ooh. and behind the vault is a giant dragon who. His claw comes out, <laughs> scoops up your treasure, uh, pulls it in, and slams the vault. The vault closed. Uh, so you just made a deposit into the dragon's hoard. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, I'm gonna ask the man. I can get that back, right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh okay okay so our item today mm -hmm. was submitted by a uh, person that i know very well oh he um i think he has a podcast of his own <laughs> it's uh it's called like um fighting amongst yourselves or something <laughs> something like that something like no, that it's intra party conflict. intra oh my goodness <laughs> he got intra party conflict it's like nah <laughs> So this was submitted by Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was I don't I don't know if we if it was in the episode or not, but we like there was like an idea I had for an item like a, like a few episodes back or something. N no, because well, small spoiler, everybody. I think that was we were talking about a question that we're going to be talking about today. Oh, is it okay? I, th I think. We oh, were interesting. I, I think so. Anyway, All right. Anyway. So, so it was a it was a previous discussion that uh, sparked this idea for me. Yes. So this item is called the Rodenite Swine. Mm -hmm. Uh, and rhodonite, for anybody who's not familiar, is a like a, a pink. Yeah, it's like a, sort of like a pink and gray stone. Yes, yeah, mineral gem or something. Yes, uh, and uh, it's an uncommon item. And this is is a it is one of the figurines of wondrous power, mm -hmm. which are a, a set of of items from the Dungeon Master's Guide and so on. Yeah, uh, this pink and gray rhodonite statuette is carved into the likeness of a domesticated sow with a small slot on its back, and it appears to be hollow and empty. When an action is used to speak the command word, it transforms into a living boar and remains as such until one hour has passed or until it drops to zero hit points, at which point it reverts back to its figurine form. And and it is it is unable to use the attack action while it is in this form. Once it has been used in this way, it cannot be used again until one day has passed. Uh, while it is in beast form, it can be commanded to consume any coins and gemstones worth at least one GP. This value is not destroyed but is stored within the boar. No more than 5,000 GP value can be stored in this way at any time. The boar can consume at a speed of 100 GPs worth of coins and gemstones per minute, 
Once the boar has consumed a total of 5,000 GP value over any number of uses, it is full and reverts back to its figurine form. While in its figurine form, it can be used in a few ways. First, coins can be placed into the slot. If any combination of coins placed into the figurine equals 1 GP, they are consumed and their values stored. No coins are consumed in this way if the total value, including value consumed in its beast form, is 5,000 GP, and the figurine itself, when full, can only physically hold up to 10 GP worth of coins, which can be easily removed by turning the figurine over. Right, so, so the, the idea is the figurine itself is just like a piggy, like a regular piggy bank can mm -hmm. hold 10 GP amongst all the other stuff. Right, in addition to these 5,000 that it can store in whatever yeah. space they go to when the boar eats them. Right. Uh, when, it, when turned over and a command word is used, the figurine can produce GP out of its slot at a rate of 100 GP per minute using up the value it has stored. If held by a spellcaster, the value stored within the figurine can be used in place of any spell component with a GP cost, but this value is always consumed by the spell. This effect can only be used once per long rest. And then finally, if the stored value equals 5,000 GP, a command word can be spoken and the slot opens wide to reveal a pink diamond worth 5,000 GP, and all stored value is removed from the figurine. <laughs> so, as you said, yes, this is a piggy bank. Yep. Functions as a piggy bank. Right. Kind of like an extra-dimensional piggy bank. Sure. Um, additionally, I, th I think what sparked yeah. the idea for this was we were talking about spell components mm. and... Uh, the mention of like costly spell components, you know, a lot of the time when people use spell components with a, with a cost, you just deduct it from your gold or whatever. A lot of people just hand wave that anyway. Yeah. Rather than saying you have to have purchased these components right. beforehand. You, you got to, you, you, you know, like 500 gold diamond to use the raise dead spell sure. you know, rather than like. I don't know, like, it's either hand wave it or you gotta go out, you make your characters go out of their way when one of the players is di is died, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of, like, very inconvenient to carry around a dead body and try to find 500 <laughs> right. GP diamond in the time span that you have to use the raised dead spell. Yeah. So, like, you either hand wave it or it's this big debacle. Sure, sure. So, so with this item, you basically just put your, your gold into the piggy bank mm -hmm. and now you can use it once per long rest to cast a spell with a material component cost. Yeah. Um, which I think is really, that's really useful. It's yeah. really cool. So there, there are some spells that their material component costs, uh, material components have a, have the GP cost, but are not consumed. So you like, you buy it once, but you can use it over and over again. Sure. This way it, it, with this item that gets consumed every time. So like you, you're, you're basically rebuying those ones mm -hmm. so that that's sort of like a little bit of a drawback, but the convenience, you know, it makes it worth it. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, and uh, I like how it can turn into an actual pig that then just eats yeah. money. For it's pretty cool. My my first version of it, I was like, I was gonna have it being able to eat like any sort of treasure, anything with value. Sure. But then if it if you got into like art pieces of artwork and I was, stuff like that, I was thinking, what if it ate a painting? Right, it eats a painting. <laughs> I was like, okay, but who 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 says that? You know how much that is worth. Well, you don't realize that the 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 boar is also a very <laughs> classically trained uh, art curator. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he owns his own gallery. Uh, yes, exactly. Like, like extra dimensional gallery inside of his stomach. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, and then I, I like an easy way. Like if you got it, if it was completely full, 
an easy way to just get it all out at once rather than like doing it one coin at a time. Sure, sure. Um, in the form of a pink diamond, so it's just one gemstone. And that's the idea when, when you have like thousands upon thousands of GP worth of wealth, mm -hmm. you're not, usually not carrying it around in bags of gold unless yeah. you have like a bag of holding or something. In uh, in fourth edition D&D, there was, uh, so in, in most editions of D&D, mm -hmm. the denominations are 10 coppers, one silver. 10 silver is one gold. Yeah. 10 gold is one platinum. A couple of the editions have had uh, Electrum, Electrum, which is yeah. halfway between. So it's like five silver is one Electrum, two Electrums, one gold. I Something think. like that. Yeah. Um, but then fourth edition, I believe it was because fourth edition's prices got so ridiculous because of how the game was so like. Like you could have an item that gave you a plus one to something, but then the same item that gave you a plus two would be like a thousand times as expensive. Right. Yeah. The numbers got a little crazy. They just got, you were paying millions of gold for something that was just marginally better than the version that cost like 10,000 gold. But anyway, um, there was, they introduced an additional type of currency called astral diamonds, which rather than being 10 to one and then 10 to one and so on, it was, 10,000, I believe it was 10,000 platinum was one astral diamond. Oh. So the idea being, if you are characters that are walking around with, you know, about to purchase something that is 30 million gold. Right. You're not going to be carrying around even 3 million platinum because that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I still think it's, I think it's ridiculous for many reasons. I think I've probably talked about this a long time ago, but yeah. um, they instead were like, well, you could have these diamonds. Each of the diamonds was worth, you know a significant amount of money. And it, they may, they made mention of like, most people do not even know what these are, but high level adventurers that travel the planes use them as a more, you know, sure. Yeah. Uh, easily usable form like, of currency. Like we don't, we don't expect, we don't, um, we don't accept space money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, space cash, space cash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about like, maybe there could be in like a higher level version of this that like can go oh. higher amounts or yeah. something just yeah. so you can, ha you can just, you could have every bit of treasure. Like there's a, basically your piggy bank would function as like your party's bank. Sure. Sure. And it would just like spit out gems in the exact amount that you'd want or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. But now there's no mention of this in the, in the rules that you've written out. Mm. So my question is, uh, what happens if you break it? Uh huh. You know. Um, so yeah, I didn't quite, I didn't, like I had thought about that mm -hmm. and the, the idea that I came up with, uh, there, there, there would be a lot more specifics in the rules for it, but the idea is if it, if you broke the figurine mm -hmm. and had a amount of money stored inside of it, if you broke it in some way, it would explode into, uh, into copper pieces sure. equaling the equaling that value. So you're putting in, you know, gold pieces and gems <laughs> and stuff and but if you break it it's just all pennies basically. Yeah, yeah. But it would explode in a certain radius and do certain damage or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And at which point the 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 item would be destroyed. Sure. Like it, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to use it again, but like it, that, that would, I thought that'd be a neat idea that like if you like smacked it with a hammer or threw <laughs> it at something hard enough maybe it would like it would work as like a you know once like a consumable you know a grenade, grenade basically you know, yeah, yeah grenade but it was all money yeah you know, I thought I thought that maybe be kind of weird yeah that's a neat idea but then of course you got to figure out how much damage does and yeah DC and so on but, right uh, it, like it'd be depend it would depend on the amount of money on it maybe oh like, that's a good one yeah. maybe maybe it just like it does damage uh but the more more money that's in there the wider the you know the, the effect oh, maybe, would be it maybe. would just be a bigger a bigger blast if it was more. 
Yeah, maybe. But I don't know. I thought that'd be kind of funny. But again, the main the main idea for this was was so that you didn't have to like go to the shop and buy specific com- material components. If if you're somebody who doesn't like keeping track of that kind of stuff, I always like the idea of keeping track of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then it's like I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I'll just yeah. buy a spell focus and then pretty you know, much you know. Yeah, and yeah. then for the big stuff, you know, I'll I'll worry about it when it comes to it. Sure. Yeah, if, if you have any spells in your spell book or whatever that use costly material components, you probably know it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so I guess, you know, that's that's the Rodenite Swine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's a really fun item. Thank yeah. you, Jeff. Yeah. Um, Jeff, if anybody wanted to submit items of their own for the Dragon's Horde or questions for us to discuss or stories for the Funeral Pyre, how would they do so? They could send us an email at interpartyconflict at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. So before we uh, go and get into some questions, uh, we have a giveaway to give away today. Mm -hmm. So as usual, we are giving away a copy of Chapel on the Cliffs, a fifth edition adventure for uh, from from Goblin Stone. So, uh, Jeff, who has won this today? So our winner today is Tyria. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Winner. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Yes. Congratulations, Tyria. Um, I hope we got that name right. Mm hmm. Uh, I don't think we we have gotten more than one person with that name, so sure. we don't need to give a, a last initial or anything. So, yes, congratulations. Uh, Tyria, if you like the adventure, or if you don't like the adventure, I guess, be sure to let Goblinstone know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Goblinstone's great. They're, they're great to uh, to give us this giveaway, to give away to our, our listeners. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, if anybody else wanted to enter this drawing, Jeff, how would they enter? They could send us an email at interpartyconflict at gmail.com with a subject line, Chapel on the Cliffs. Yes. And I want to mention that we have our uh, Patreon as well. Um, if anybody would likes listening to us talk and they would like to contribute to the show and help make the show better, you can go to patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. We've got some uh, rewards on there for a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. I believe the day this episode goes out, hopefully we will be doing our um, next patreon game or next uh roll 20 game for oh, our sure. patrons yeah for our ten dollar patrons so uh hopefully that goes really well the last session went really really well it was so much fun cool so hopefully we can finish out the adventure that we've been <laughs> kind of kind of uh inching our way through for the last several months sure but, uh yeah i'm really excited about that and then after that adventure is over we'll probably maybe branch out into to something different gotcha so yeah um if you want to check out our, our patreon patreon.com slash conflict. Check out the rewards and see if anything uh, interests you. Hmm. Also, two other podcasts I want to mention. Crit Academy. Crit Academy is a great podcast where the three hosts, Justin, Ian, and either Brandon or Camden, they uh, come up with new and reusable content for DMs and players alike. Mm-hmm. They are great. Every every episode, they have a player tip, a DM tip, uh, a character concept, an encounter concept, a uh, monster variant, a magic item, all this stuff in addition to their normal. Each episode has like a different kind of main topic that they talk about sure for the, the bulk of the episode so it's a great great podcast also check out D character lab um they garen and dan they make they make characters and then debate whose character is better right which i think is a lot of fun every week they're coming up with two new characters <laughs> and on the, some of their patreon bonus episodes they come up with monsters and then debate you know debate whose monster is better so yeah it's really cool so yeah D character lab and crit academy go check them out Enough of that. You want to get into this episode? Sure. All right. Our first question today comes from Nathan through email, and they ask, how much would it upset the game if I let casters ignore costly material components? Yes. So we were, um, I believe it is when we were discussing this a couple weeks ago when yeah. you came up with the uh, the idea of the Rodenite Swine. 
and I, I guess small disclaimer, the questions in this episode will probably be fairly rules based. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they'll, they'll each be kind of quick and sure and simple. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully you can stick around for that. Um, so in response to this question, I would say it probably wouldn't upset the game for a while. I mean, like a little bit, it will definitely make certain things more powerful than than they're meant to be. So when you're casting a spell for anybody who doesn't know how, uh, how material components uh, function in 5th edition D&D. Right. When you're casting a spell, if the spell components do not have a cost associated, so like if you're casting Fireball and you need some bat guano and a pinch of sulfur or something, you don't have to pay for that. You either have to have a spell component pouch, which you just you spend a one-time cost of a few gold or whatever to buy it. Yeah. And then after that point, it is always just assumed that you just have it with you. It is always stocked with whatever spells you are capable of casting. Mm-hmm. Or you can have a spell focus, which you have to have in your hand when you cast it. But as long as you have it, you don't need material components. So it's it's largely, a, that is largely a decision based on flavor. You can either describe your character as raising a staff and energy comes from it and fire shoots out and it explodes. Or you could describe it as your character opens up his pouch, pulls out some components, mashes them together, throws it into the group of enemies and then it explodes in a fireball or right. whatever. It's totally up to you. There isn't really a mechanical advantage either way. Now, when there is a cost associated, however, the game does require you to have those. Now, the reason that some spells have them is that some spells are powerful enough that they don't necessarily want you to be able to just cast it whenever. Right. And one more thing about uh, material components is that it's not consumed by the spell unless it says it it is. So like some spells, you'll cast it and then the material components are destroyed as part of the spell. Right. Sometimes it's just you just have to have it. And as long as you have it, then you can cast the spell yeah. however many times you want. And then there's a few spells that like it uses the material components. So like there's one that's like something about a jar. You know, there's ones uh, that are a like, magic jar. There's, you know, there's magic jar or... Uh, there's a few other ones that basically like trap something in a jar or whatever. The jar itself you have to pay for and it has to be of a certain cost. And then like, you know, that is the spell at that point. Yes. And it's, so it's technically consuming it. And I'm pretty sure in most cases when that spell ends in whatever way the that that component is destroyed. Yes. So I have magic jar right here. Um, it requires a material component of a gem, crystal, reliquary, or some other ornamental container worth at least 500 gold. Mm. So I'm 500 gold. By the time you're able to cast a spell, let's say six level spell. Yeah. That's not going to be a ton of money, but you're not going to be casting it willy nilly. Mm-hmm. You're going to cast it because you know you need to cast it. Right. And that this particular spell does the very, there is a mention at the very end when the spell ends the container is destroyed. So right. that is consumed by the spell when whatever is inside the jewel or whatever comes out. So that is a spell that I'm sure they wanted it to be that you, if you were a high enough level to cast six level spells, this is a spell that can be in your repertoire. So like making it a higher level spell kind of would have defeated the purpose, but they don't want it to be that you can just cast this without any thought. They want it to be that you, you're you saving this for something that's really important. Right. Or maybe like, I'm wondering if it has to do with they wanted you or didn't want you to be using it in combat. I don't know. Like I could see this magic jar specifically being used as like a role playing thing. You are like trapping someone so that you can use that as leverage 
against something yeah. or I, I I don't know. Um Oh wait, that's not what magic jar does at all. Hold on um, a minute. I think magic it lets you possess people. Yeah, yeah. You put you put your soul into a jar. Uh-huh. You you can still perceive things through the jar. Sure. If somebody's within 100 feet of you, you can possess them if they fail a thing. Mm-hmm. And then their soul goes in the jar and you go into their body. Okay. I was actually I always get magic jar confused with uh different spell soul bind, I think it was. I that's not in this edition. So so with with magic jar or whatever, with these types of spells, I'm I'm sure it is that they they thought it was power-wise it was within within the power level of the other spells of that level, but they they just didn't want you to be casting it too often. Yeah, it's yeah, spells like that like make such a big change to the game. Like yeah, if a part if one of your party members like decides to leave his body yeah, go into a jar, and you got to carry his jar around until he can find a proper host. And in that case, you have to like keep the jar around still. And like, there's all these weird. It's it's such a it's such a very weird. It's a that's a cool spell, mm-hmm. but it's like it's it changes up stuff stuff so much. Yeah, you don't want people just like able to cast it willy nilly. Yeah, you gotta you gotta prepare for it. You gotta you gotta make sure you really want to do it before you do it. See. It's a little weird because the fact that so many of the spells that have costly material components don't consume the components. Like, okay, identify. I was about to use the example of identify until I just looked it up and saw that it's not consumed. It used to be to identify whether a magic, whether what a magic item did. Mm-hmm. You had to spend basically a hundred gold. So you had to have a hundred GP pearl, which you would then like crush up with a owl feather and then drink it. Or something. Right. And so the cost of identifying a magic item was 100 gold. If you wanted to get it done, you didn't have a spellcaster, you had to pay like double that. So 200 gold or something to identify an item. And it was, that was just, they, they, they wanted there to be a cost to find out what a magic item does. Right. Well, I, in fifth edition, identify is useless because you just spend a short rest and you can identify an item. I've, I've, well, I mean, it it does it does a little bit more than tell you its properties, but to an extent, you're right. Right. Like, well, the well, the main idea of like you know using identify is like, oh, what does this cool magic item do? Is it a plus one? Is it a plus two? What is it? Mm-hmm. And it, in fifth edition, there is a rule where it's just like if you just spend an hour with it, you know what it is. You're basically if you basically attune yourself to it, even though you just found it in a pile of dirt. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I know exactly what this is does. I know what the command word does. I know what it does. Like what stats it gives me. Yeah. I, I, I feel like any any time I would run a game, I would take that rule out and just say, like, you have to cast identity. Like, you have, like, it's magical. You need to find some magical means unless somebody, unless there's, like, a note next to it that says what it is. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, you, you look under the desk you found it on and there's a little t- note tape to it with the password. Yeah. I identify it can also let you, you can determine, like, uh, what spells are affecting the item or if you cast identify on a creature you can see what spells are currently affecting them. Sure, yeah. Do, yeah, I guess so, it does have other uses, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, so it, it does still have a 100 gold cost, but I don't really know what purpose. I mean, I, I do they want you to be casting it willy-nilly? Because once you, have, once you spend 100 gold, you can. Yeah. But then right next to identify is Illusory Script, which is a uh, first-level spell that you basically just, like, create some illusory writing, and right. that costs 10 gold, which gets consumed. Hmm. I'm really curious as to why that is. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess partly is 
because they have that rule where it's so easy to just kind of learn what a magic item is, is this, that's sort of not a big deal. This yeah. this just makes it so that if you have it prepared and you're willing to spend a spell slot, you can do it in an action rather than having to take a short rest. So if you're like in the middle of a dungeon, you find a weapon that glows, you're like, this could help us really, like this could really help us in this adventure. Mm-hmm. We need to know what this does right now. Right. Or you want to make sure if, you know, if you put on that, if you wield that sword is it cursed you know you you, you want to identify it so mm-hmm. you know having the spell isn't gonna make it e- it doesn't really make it easier for you to identify a thing it just makes it so you can do it on the fly sure now um certain spells it's it's pretty obvious why there are material component costs mm-hmm. raise dead for example sure raise dead reincarnate uh revivify resurrection true res- resurrection all have Material components cost usually of a certain amount of diamonds. Mm. And with that, that is because they do want there to be some sort of a monetary cost. Just having the spell slots to cast Raise Dead is not enough to bring someone back. So for those spells, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious. And I, I think that taking out the material component cost for those, it would unbalance the game a bit. I mean, is it going to ruin your game? Probably not. Probably not. But... It's going to make certain spells, like someone is going to find a way to break this. So, someone could. I'm not saying someone will. Yeah. But if it is just like a blanket, no spells have mater- have costly material component costs anymore, I think that is a bit of a bad idea. Here's a suggestion that I would give rather than just saying, just let it go or don't let it go. And that is maybe give, if, if there is an, a spell that a person in your party wants to cast give them the material component cost for it. Like if it's one of those ones that doesn't, if, if there's one of those ones that doesn't consume it, let's say one of the players has identify, give that character the component for identify, just like have it be part of the treasure early on. Oh, here's a 100 GP pearl. Right. And then the player doesn't have to have to spend that anymore. And it also doesn't have to be, doesn't have to come out of their treasure. It can just be, cause that's something you'll probably be casting for the party to identify items or creatures or whatever. Yeah. So in that case, you might want to just give them that component as treasure. And then if they choose to sell it, they choose to sell it for something like raise dead. Now I, I don't recommend doing this because I do think that there should be some sort of a, a deterrent from just repeatedly casting raise dead, but raise dead as the example, there are other spells that do consume that I actually, okay. Okay. Let's, let's not say raise dead. Let's say illusory script. Okay. Because that was the example I gave earlier of one that is consumed, and I'm not quite sure why. Let's say you have a party member that does, or you have a person in your group that does want to be casting Illusory Script. You could put into the treasure, as the DM, you could put into an early treasure a magic pen that its entire purpose is just it eliminates the need for that material component. Mm -hmm. So whenever someone casts that specific spell, they don't have to spend the cost anymore. Yeah. So, so you could easily just put for something that does consume its component, yeah. you could put in like a, a super component that does not get consumed. Sure. But the player could lose it or it could be stolen, or maybe they could choose to sell it and then gain money back. But then from that point on, they would have to purchase the component themselves. So you're, yeah, if you if there's like specific spells that you want them to have mm-hmm. easy access to, so you can, that way you can pick and choose. So you, yeah, sure. you give them this super component that can be used as many times as they want. So like, if you, if you don't mind your, your players having access to raise dead a lot easier, cause maybe everybody, maybe you're in a group that would rather just stick with the characters that they have. They mm-hmm. don't, you know, they don't want to lose them. They have the, you know, they get gain an attachment to them. Yeah. 
to put something like that in there. Uh, another idea for that to add on. Maybe the super component has some sort of caveat. Like there's some little like mm. side effect. Like, yes, you can cast it and raise dead. But like there's like some little when they come back, they come back a little weird or something. I don't Ooh, know. That's like, interesting. There's some sort of curse or side effect. Might not be anything crazy, but maybe it's like, you know, it's something very small. Like that when they if you use raise dead with it they have a chance to have like weird polka dots or something on their skin. Like, yeah. Yeah. Little weird, little weird things. Uh, so that like by the end of the adventure, if people keep dying over and over, they're going to have like weird, like, f- like weird features. You that, know? that could be really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like they have like extra toes or something, you know? So, yeah, I think, I think that's a great idea. Giving like a weird side effect for in, in exchange for not having to spend the material component. Yeah. Now I could definitely see even for something like raised dead or resurrection or whatever, uh, putting in like an artifact into the campaign whose in, its entire purpose is anyone who has this doesn't have to spend that hugely costly material component cost for casting resurrection or whatever. Yeah. And then this would be like a holy artifact by, you know, the, the church of the God of life or whatever. Like this would be, it would be a huge deal. Yeah. So I guess to tie it back to the original question, the question is, would it, you know, like, would it unbalance the game or whatever? I think that it probably wouldn't ruin the game, as mm-hmm. we said, but you don't want to do this without any thought. Yeah. Because there is there is hugely potential for things to go awry because of it. The the spells that do have costs were made that way for some sort of a balance reason. Maybe that balance would not be so uh obvious that it might affect your game. However, you gotta be aware that it, it might be. Sure. Some someday it might become a problem. As yeah. long as you're just keeping an eye on it, you can always find ways to, to, you know, to, to rectify that. Sure. So I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying just don't do it without thinking. Right. Yeah. You know, our, our next question comes from Nathan mm-hmm. uh, through email and they ask, how overpowered would it be to give players a magic item that allows more than one concentration spell at a time? Yes. That's, I'd say that's pretty powerful. I would say that's more powerful than the material component one. Yeah, for sure. Similarly. Is it gonna is it gonna break your game? I don't know. Yeah. I'm inclined to say yes, but not not it's not guaranteed. Right. I think sort of a similar uh way to deal with this, the the with the last question is mm. maybe do it specific by spell. Okay. So have it be an not a magic item that gives them a blanket extra you know, concentration spell. Sure. It's it's like there is a it's a like a super component for a specific spell mm-hmm. that lets them ignore that it needs to be concentrate. So like uh, a you could give them a I don't know a magical pin that looks like a little broom, and while they have this taking up their necklace slot or something, it they are able to cast fly, but fly no longer that the magic item takes over the concentration. Right, yeah. Or something. Yeah, so like the, you can cast fly, you can have fly casted and you, you know, you have it for the whole duration, mm-hmm. but you can also be casting other spells, uh, like you could cast another spell that uses concentration. Sure, sure. So like, yeah, specific to the spell, this, this way, you know, if it's something that a player has in mind specifically, they're like, man, I really wish I didn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be a little treasure for him. Like, like, okay, if you want to cast that spell, you don't have to concentrate on it anymore. Sure. Yeah, because I, I think uh, this, similarly to the material components, I think that this was uh, this was a deliberate change from previous editions because of uh, for, <laughs> for balance purposes. Right. Because everybody's always talked about how wizards at high levels are just so much more powerful than 
any you know any non spellcaster. Right. And so this was this was meant to this severely limits what wizards or spellcasters can do. I mean, it doesn't stop them from doing everything they could do before, right. but there's a lot of things they cannot do anymore. Yeah, the in the uh, Age of Worms campaign, we had uh, uh, Stephen had a character who mm-hmm. his he was like a I think a level of barbarian, and then the rest was cleric. <laughs> right, think. right. So so you had the level of a barbarian, so you can have the rage, but then he had like many levels in cleric, and the idea was he would just buff the crap out of himself. Yes, and you guys too, but mainly right. himself. But mainly himself. Like it was very much just like you know put you know like so at the beginning of every before every battle, if we knew we were going to battle, he would just buff 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 buff. Yeah, and he would become like a super powered you know uh you know barbarian. He was so powerful that in the second to last adventure, when fighting like the big boss of that adventure, he told me that he was going to voluntarily not attack the big bad because he knew that if he did, the fight would be over too quickly. Right. Yeah. It's like he just the the combination of spells that he had, I think like it, it towards the end, he was just using miracle to cast basically any spell from any list. I mean, that's what happens when you get to be a 19th level cleric. Right, yeah. That's, so. that's kind of the purview of, of what 19th level clerics can do. So to kind of balance that down a bit, I mean, it's like, okay, a lot of spells are going to need to be concentrated on and you can not you can only do one at a time. So mm-hmm. like I can't put 30 buffs on. I can put like, there maybe there's a few that don't require concentration. Sure. So like a few things here and there. And then like one big one I have to concentrate on. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, it's a good way. It's a, that's a, I feel like that was a good way to balance that. Yeah, because um, like some of the spells are like most spells are really cool and useful and like wizard ca- spellcasters are still very powerful. Um, I think another way to kind of keep that from nerfing them too much, mm-hmm. like you don't have to in the in fifth edition versus third edition. Yeah, you don't you know, a, if you have proficiency in, in a, an armor, you can wear armor. So like that's true. You know, like that it, is true. If you if you start off first level fighter, if like the same the same character. Like first, you know, rather instead of like fighter or barbarian, you do fighter. First level fighter, you can wear heavy armor, use martial weapons, and then the rest of your levels, you can be a wizard. Mm -hmm. So you can be a wizard with, you know, you know, a shield and a sword and and, and full plate armor and still be able to cast spells, you know, with with some difficulty because you have to like, you know, juggle the the weapon and stuff. Right, right. But it's, you know. Yeah. Like to give you an idea of how how like different it is for buffs nowadays than it was in third edition Mm -hmm. in third edition like when i was playing with chris dang and chris was playing a spellcaster it was not uncommon for him to have greater invisibility stone skin blur yeah displacement so so three different things that gave him a mischance when you attacked him Mm -hmm. as well as like you know mirror image mirror image uh bull strength Bears endurance, all you know, all of these spells. Yeah, unless I'm mistaken, all of those spells are now concentration. So you'd be able to have one, one of, of those. Yep, and that's whether you're casting it on you or casting it on someone else. In fact, something like Stone Skin being concentration means that it is very foolish for a wizard to cast Stone Skin on themselves. Mm. Like, yeah, it'll protect you from a, from a hit. Well, I mean, it'll, it'll protect you from damage, but once you take that damage. You have to make a concentration check. Whereas if you cast on someone else, if they take damage, who cares? Because they're not the ones concentrating on the spell. Sure. So allowing more than one concentration spell at a time is going to make a much more noticeable impact on your game. Again, is it going to break your game? I don't know. But if someone is going to 
make use of that, it could very easily get out of hand. Yeah. Now, I don't have it written here in our notes, but I believe when Nathan submitted this question, he did say that you would still, the, the rules of concentration would still apply in that if you took damage, you would ha- still have to make the same, if you lost one, you lost both of them. Okay. I think that does make it a little bit better, sure. but even still, if you're concentrating on a spell, your best goal is to just not even be a target. Right. Yeah. So a a canny player is is not going to be feeling the effects of that very much. Yeah. I, it's not going to inherently ruin things, but it is easily abused. Is very and and not even intentionally right. easily abused. You don't have to like sit down and be like, okay, how am I going to break this game? It's just it's gonna it's gonna happen. Yeah. Without, you know, without anybody intending to. Right. So, and, and again, a, like a savvy player is going to recognize, like, even if it's by accident, they'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, wow, that was a really good combo. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And they'll do it every time. Right. So, again, if you are a, you know, if you're paying attention to your players, it's, you can nip this in the bud if it starts to become a problem, but it is, it is going to become a problem a lot faster mm-hmm. than material components. So, if you want to do it, I do recommend doing like what Jeff was saying, make it specific to a specific spell yeah so it's like a it's a holy symbol that lets it so you can use the bless spell without having to concentrate sure there you go because yeah bless is that's that's another thing there are ninth level spells that require concentration and first level spells that require concentration and you still only can do one of them yeah still takes up the same concentration slot right right so be be wary i would recommend not doing it but if you're gonna do it Pay attention, and hey, if you do it and it goes well, or if it goes poorly, I guess, let us know. Yeah. I would I would like to hear some firsthand experience with uh, with doing something like this. Yeah, maybe do like a funeral pyre, send in a funeral pyre of like the final boss be- because it died <laughs> sure. so quickly from sure, somebody sure. who was abusing it. Our, our next question, again, comes from Nathan. Mm-hmm. Thanks thanks for... <laughs> Thank qu- you, Nathan. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Uh, this is through email. What do you think of the optional sanity and honor ability scores in the Dungeon Master's Guide? Yeah. I I, I think these are really cool. Um, oh, yeah, the, that uh, YouTube uh, Z-Bashu. Okay. Um, I'll put he, that in the show notes. Right. He had, he had another video where he mentioned uh, the use of the honor one when dealing with, like, there was, like, a... Uh, he, I, oh, he had an adventure or something that had a lot to do with like dwarves or something. And so mm-hmm. like they, they played into the, this honor ability with among the dwarves and like, so it was, you know, an honor, it was an honor system among the dwarves that gave the characters like different benefits and stuff, the higher their honor score was. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was pretty cool. And then like the sanity one, I like, I like that idea for doing a, um, um, like a sort of more of a survival exploration kind of a campaign. Yeah. So like keeping track of your, of your player's sanities, um, the, the specifics of these things, like, cause I know like, these are like, these are abilities that go along with your strength, your mm-hmm. dexterity and stuff. If you roll for stats, you roll for these ones too. Right. So like in a point by system, it within a, with a point by system, um, you would have, they'd give you more points. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd have more points to spend, but you still have the maximum of 15, minimum right, right. of eight. Uh, like I see that being like, 
like if I was if I was a if I was building a character and some and like the DM was like okay and we're gonna be using the sanity and honor and there I'm like okay cool and then I see I have more points to spend I'm like sweet all right <laughs> yeah more dump stats like exactly <laughs> like exactly. I'll just I'll just have really low sanity and honor I don't care about those because I don't know what they are <laughs> you know and I'll just put more I'll just have you know a fifteen in strength and con you know yeah yeah so for anybody who is not familiar with these they're in the Dungeon Master's Guide the fifth edition Dungeon Master's Guide they are two new stats. That, again, they just go kind of right after Charisma in the list of of ability scores. And uh, honor is kind of a measure of not only, I I guess, how honorable you are, you know, how how likely you are to follow etiquette, follow etiquette, help someone that is is in need of it. I mean, it's not necessarily alignment based, although I think it kind of to an extent is sure goes goes hand in hand with alignment. But it's also like your knowledge of of etiquette and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so maybe like an, uh, like an honor, a check would uh, allow you to know like which fork to use. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Um, and then it could also be if, if someone is challenging your honor, the higher your honor, the less likely you are to let that slide. Sure. And maybe the lower your honor, the more likely you are to take advantage of someone or something like that. Sure. With honor, I feel like it is largely, Something that would usually be associated with alignment. I don't think that's necessarily a problem, but um, I just think that I don't know. It, it it's kind of it's kind of enforcing role play on a player when there doesn't necessarily need to be enforcement of role playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that especially with honor, I'll, I'll talk about sanity in a minute. Sanity is different, but with honor, I feel like it would it would almost be better to let the player decide their their honor rather than letting them roll for it or use points on it. But then after that point, that's what their honor is. And then similar to, I mean, I guess not similar to ability scores, but in the book, they mentioned there are some things that might increase or decrease your honor. Yeah. I would then kind of have that be part of that ability score. Yeah. So I don't think that assigning it randomly is is necessarily a good thing unless you would be okay with assigning alignment randomly or assigning behavior randomly. Um, you know, we, we've talked about alignment and such in the past. That's That's not really what this is about. But like if you are... If you were in a group where your your personality traits and such are determined randomly, okay, I could see random being assigned randomly as well, but I don't think many groups do that. I think most of the time you choose what character traits and such and bonds and flaws yeah. that you want. I think that honor w- would be better off being something that is chosen at the beginning, yeah. and then the player can choose to increase it or decrease it depending on what happens to their character. Sure. You know, I, I, I just think that one's a little bit harder to make mechanical yeah whereas with like sanity there's a lot of games out there that already use like sanity as a mechanic and stuff. yeah and yeah like anything cthulhu themed has some form of madness or sanity right you know meter or something like that yeah and, and so sanity is is sanity it is a measure of like how how well your character maintains their composure yeah uh, but also like if your sanity is lower you might hallucinate you might see things there might be things that you cannot see unless you have a low enough sanity right i've been playing uh, bloodborne with our friend steve a lot mm-hmm. and bloodborne is very much about that you have a stat it's called insight but the higher your insight the harder the game gets because you're able to see things as they truly are so some enemies transform into different enemies or gain new attacks the higher your sanity because you're able to see beyond the veil that is Hiding everything, huh. I guess, is very, very Lovecraftian. Sure. Um, with sanity, I do think sanity is is fun as a game mechanic, and there are examples of how to make that into a game mechanic, like you said, 
in other games, they use uh, sanity and such. But um, I, I think with both of these, sanity and honor, the real measure of whether they're good or not is how well the DM uses them. Sure. At the moment, there's only, you know, a few examples in the book of like how to how to actually use the stat. Yeah, yeah. They just have a few examples of like checks and saves for each one. Yeah. And and so, you know, if if you're running a game that is about those two stats, it's going to be a good addition. Yeah. But if you're just running a normal game of D&D, they're probably not. If you included them, they probably wouldn't get used as much as you'd hope. You'd have to make a conscious effort yeah, to, to use them. to use them all the time. Because, like, something like Sanity, like, you you know, mind-affecting spells, you're just going to use your, you know, they're mostly yeah. going to use your wisdom or your intelligence or something, you yeah, know, as that, a save. Right. That's the thing. And I'm not saying that, like, oh, the six ability scores are all there should be. But, like, a lot of the examples they give, it's like, oh, I would have already done that with a different stat. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just have them, yeah, just have them make them a wisdom saving throw to not go mad from seeing something crazy. Like, yeah. It's like if you have high enough wisdom, you perceive it in a better than somebody else. So you can like, it's like, oh, this is a, this is a terrifying monster. And then, but you look, if you see it more clearly, you're like, oh, I see it has, you know, it has eyes and a mouth and in arms in some form. Like I can, mm-hmm. I can wrap my head around this. I'm yeah. not going to go insane immediately just by looking at it. Right. So, so with both of these stats, I think they're, they're cool ideas. Yeah, for sure. I would love to try them out sometime. I mean, I'm, and, and I'm, I'm grouping them together. I'm not saying you should necessarily use both in the same campaign. I think each each one has a place in its own specific campaign. Yeah. But uh I would love to try each of them out at some point, but at first glance I I feel like it's I'm not really seeing a need for them. Yeah. I yeah, guess I, I mean, guess like, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's a it's it's a cool variant rule for mm-hmm. sure. Um but yeah, you're right. Just it would have to be specific to the campaign. Yeah, you have to you'd have to make it like sort of a, a, a you know a focal point of the campaign that you're dealing with sanity. Sure. Um, like like I said before, it was you know it, it seems like a pretty good idea if you're doing like a survival like exploration. Mm-hmm. We talked about exploration uh camp based campaigns. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a cool thing to have. So like you know, it, it, like that'd be rather than having a big bad one of one of the you know challenges of the campaign could be that your characters need to watch their sanity because they're out in wilderness away from civilization. They're not talking to anybody, but each other. Yeah. Or, you know, honor can play in that too. Maybe in some, like the relations between characters, like their alignment uh, is more important because you're stuck together as a party, you know, alone in the wilderness or something. Yeah. So like, you know, sometimes, you know, having a lawful, lawful, uh, new, uh, good guy and having somebody who's like chaotic neutral or something mm-hmm. would have some, you know, we, we create some inner party conflict, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> for the most part would just be sort of a side thing. Whereas sure. if you're dealing with the honor at your uh, ability score and it's much more important to, you know, keep the party together because mm-hmm. that's all that they have. You know, maybe you know, paying more, te- having this ability score to help pay more, like have more of a mechanical effect of alignment. Yeah. Uh, and it could make it more interesting, I guess. Yeah. I could see in a game with an honor stat, I could see enforcing role play or enforcing alignment being more reasonable. Yeah. However, whether that's a good thing or not, you know, it, depends, it really depends on how well it's used. Yeah. So um, I'm thinking of like, like at the end of like for every long rest or something that the party has together, mm-hmm. they have to make honor saves against each other to see if like, if like to basically they, like 
kind of like with your brother's. Uh, I, I thought that's where you're going at. Yeah, yeah. with your uh, with the with the uh, the mountain witch. Yeah, there's like the um, uh, the trust points. Yeah. So like you you kind of have like a trust point system in a way, but right. you're making honor checks against each other to see if like you know the 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 guy like the lawful good paladin how he views the neutral or the chaotic neutral rogue who's like backstabbing and stealing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you make a, if you make an honor save, you know if you fail an honor save, then you might need to enforce your your alignment more sure so if you make that honor save you can kind of like convince yourself like okay he's not that he's not so bad or something like that okay i I, I don't know it's it i guess it doesn't quite make perfect sense but it's fine you know it's it's a it's a way to make alignment a mechanic not just like a thing on your sheet sure sure you know an excuse to act one way or another yeah yeah so um i i do think both of these are are pretty cool um i have i have some issues with both of them but i would totally be willing to try out either one Mm -hmm. in a game in the future um all right well i think that'll do it for our normal questions today so uh let's go over to our social media discussion questions we got a huge response from uh Mm. from this previous week's social media discussion question um I, I actually forgot to put it I put it up a day late. Yeah. But I we got more responses to this one than we got into basically any of them previous. Cool. Um, so we'll, we'll be here for another hour. <laughs> I was hoping to make this a shorter episode. <laughs> um, so I'll I'll go through a, a few of the and and the thing oh, is geez. a lot of people gave like long in depth responses too. So right. we're not going to cover very many of them on the show. But I do recommend hey go to our Facebook go to Reddit go to. Uh, uh, Twitter, look at what some of these people, some people have sent some really, really insightful stuff. Sure. So the question uh, in question was theater of the mind versus minis on a grid. Which do you prefer for combat and why? Oh, of course, Justin put a big, the longest he one. He did. He did. Uh, and I'll, I will, may, maybe we should info. So there's a podcast that I listen to called uh, Vigi Game Apocalypse where they do something very similar where every week they have a question. I'm, I inadvertently took their format for this. Like they read the previous week's question, discuss it and then say the current weeks and then they read whatever. But um, they always, whoever was the first to respond, they always read that person's. Mm -hmm. So I think I might do that. Do you think that'd be a good idea? Like the first person on each, on each uh, platform. Yeah. So like a first responder said, and then then we read the rest randomly. Sure. So uh, Justin from Crit Academy was the first responder, so we'll read his. Justin said, I used to use minis and terrain religiously. I loved them. Very tactical positioning, and there was no confusion about location, but I could never draw everything that should be there. So when I changed to 5th edition, I realized that all wasn't uh, that all that wasn't needed. I often found that I was able to add things on the fly as the players asked about them, especially if it made sense that something would be there, which led to more interaction from my players. Clean up and setup are much quicker. No need to waste precious game time setting up terrain or drawing maps. Area descriptions became much more important as there is no longer a visual reference the players have, forcing me to better describe the areas that then may or may not become encounter areas. The largest advantage, in my opinion, is that I discovered that because I had pre-drawn maps or bits of terrain, I unintentionally railroaded my players to those locations and almost always meant a fight was for sure to happen. Though recently I did break out the terrain again for a big fight. So I think this is a great response. Yeah. Um, this definitely does have the pluses and minuses that I think pretty much everybody deals with. If you draw out a big map, the players are going to assume that there's a fight there. Sure. When Jay ran the Shackled City long, long, long time ago, mm-hmm. Shackled City, the first adventure of the Shackled City is a gigantic 
dungeon. Oh, right, yeah. And he drew out the whole dungeon. Because if you don't, then you got to constantly draw and erase and draw and erase. So he drew out the entire dungeon and then, like, had parts of it covered up. And on one hand, that was great. On another hand, the dungeon was technically too big. The map in the book was 10 foot squares rather than 5 foot squares. Uh-huh. So when we did get into combat, it made combat really weird. Because we had to remember that each square was two was was two squares. Huh. And not only that, but it, it did make us feel like the whole time we were about to roll initiative, which kind of makes it harder for you to get more into the moment. Sure. I in whenever I run like a long term campaign, I tend to kind of do a hybrid where I, I do draw out the maps and I do use a battle map, but I only bring out the battle I only bring out the room the players are in when they're there and I do it whether there is a fight or not. Mm. And so, uh, I don't know, hopefully it'll get the players in the, the into thinking that the map being there doesn't necessarily mean there's a fight there. Sure, yeah. But that definitely is a thing. Also, he does he did mention that um that it was it's it, he found it harder to add things on the fly. Yeah. And again, I I I think I mentioned last time I don't personally feel that way, but I could definitely see why someone would. I could see myself if I wasn't sure which one to go with, I could feel myself being restrained. Kind of like is a little bit off topic, but when fourth edition came out, fourth edition was much more about the battle mechanics and less about the out of combat mechanics, mm-hmm. which in theory meant that you could do anything you wanted outside of combat. But most players felt that because there were no rules outside of combat, that the game wasn't really meant to be outside of combat. Mm-hmm. So I can I can sort of see that same mindset with this. I could definitely see someone feeling more restrained because because everything that's drawn is right there on the yeah on, on the page um mickey mickey b on facebook said a very uh very short and to the point response theater of the mind is way cheaper sure i can get behind that yep the the mats aren't super cheap mm-hmm. uh, and then if you take the time and spend the money to like build actual like cityscapes and such yeah. i think that's that looks great but how much money are you spending? How much time are you spending? How much uh, space in your house are you using? Right. And how much of that are you actually going to use? Because like, like with the with Jay drawing out the entire dungeon, mm-hmm. like I think I think our run of through that that time we got through it, we went through a lot of it because it was on the board. We went as many places as we as we could. I just remembered something from that though. What in that particular dungeon the elevator to the next level of the dungeon is like behind a secret door like two rooms away from the entrance and we went there almost immediately and jay was like uh you guys don't want to go down there just yet because then he would have had to erase the entire thing do you remember that so so he more it was it wasn't he he did railroad us a little bit because it would have meant having to yeah erase and redraw the entire thing which but I mean, as a dm i understand that yeah but then as players <laughs> we got to explore the whole that's thing and it was, that's true that's, that's kind true. of that's fun but yeah you're right and i think the last time we played it in fourth edition with you running it like we i was doing the thing where i just had the, just the room you were in right and like we we didn't get we didn't I, I don't even think we got through like half of the dungeon yeah no half yeah most of the dungeon you guys didn't even explore right because, because it just didn't it didn't lead that way right you know? yeah you know, you you did eventually find that elevator, and then you went down. Yeah, and then went from there. Um, Carl L on Facebook says, "I love theater of the mind as it allows for more flexibility in the encounter and less physical prep and cleanup. The problem only arises when you have players without an imagination. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah, it does rely a lot more on your players to pay attention mm-hmm. and to use their imagination. Right. 
I see. I have issues because I have, I have issues paying attention, mm-hmm. and, and it's not like I don't have an imagination. I have an overactive imagination, <laughs> sure. and I distract myself very easily. So I'm thinking like the 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 DM will say one descriptor of the area man and i am just off on some crazy <laughs> tangent on in my own head about that one you know detail and i miss every other detail yeah and I'm like you know somebody's like somebody says something about a lever i'm like wait what lever what are we, what, <laughs> wait, what are, where are we right now i'm sorry yeah he said square and i was thinking about uh you know i was thinking about cubes and dice and where are we right now <laughs> gabe gabe what are we doing oh hey jeff we were about to play uh um crawl oh okay <laughs> why why are we sitting in front of your computer right now because that's we're gonna play it on the i don't know um <laughs> so so yeah i definitely definitely feel you there yeah um it, um it yeah so like yeah you need to pay attention and you know the your descriptions have to be very good mm-hmm. you know um i like and i'm a, I'm more of a visual learner so like i like having the grid so i can see things like there, it, it doesn't have to be like super detailed. Mm-hmm. I just need an anchor point. Sure. You know, sure. like if there, if there's a square with pieces in it, symbolizing characters in a room, I can, I can, my, my imagination can build off of that a lot easier. Okay. And I can focus on it easier. So, yeah. Um, one more on Facebook, then we'll move on to a different platform. Uh, Collins B said, I strive for a balance of both. When there's a large enough battle to merit a map, it helps a lot, but you can't abandon the theater of the mind when the minis come out as it allows, uh, it allows you to be as descriptive with your actions as you want without also imagining every detail about the environment. Mm. So yeah, there's uh, advantages and disadvantages. Next up on Twitter, uh, Jason S said, it depends on the combat. A random encounter could typically done with theater of the mind. Whereas I feel a planned boss encounter where environmental factors are meant to play a bigger role. The minis would also be a better fit. Mm. I would definitely recommend that having, having like a really big, important combat be, on the on the battle map, yeah. But then yeah, the smaller stuff, just theater of the mind. Right. I I like to use theater of the mind when I run games at the library, just because it's it's faster and it's easier th- to get new players in rather than like having to draw out stuff and then sure. here's your miniature and so on. Yeah, there's less things to introduce them to. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Damien from Adventures in Aurelia said two or less of each creature type or less than five total. I'm all for theater of the mind. More than either of those variables, and it gets too confusing for me and the players to keep creatures and locations straight. Sure. Definitely true. If it's just like a the party against one person, you don't need a grid. Right. Nothing interest. I guarantee you nothing interesting is going to be happening to necessitate yeah. a grid for that. But yeah, when you got it, when you got to have like multiple creature types, a whole bunch of creatures, whatever. Yeah. Probably is better so, in, so that the players can at a glance tell how many enemies are left. Yeah. Who they've attacked, who hasn't been attacked, and so on. Yeah, if you're fighting two orcs, three goblins, and a mind flayer, like you know, like trying to like keep track of where everything is, mm-hmm. your distance between each one. It was like, wait, was I 30 feet away from this one, but 20 feet away from that guy? Yeah. How, yeah. Am I am I shooting with a disadvantage because I'm you know you know like am I am I within five feet of that last guy or you know where were we standing? Where were we? How close were we standing when we started the fight? Yeah, it's I you know I I feel like for most combat there needs to be something because the mechanics are so specific about like distances and stuff. Sure, unless sure. you want the DM to hand wave it, in which case you should always in in which case I feel like you should always hand wave in favor of the player. Definitely, yeah. Because if you hand wave against the player, then the player is going to feel cheated because 
you either didn't describe the situation well enough Mm -hmm. or they just they didn't catch it or they weren't paying attention, which can happen. And, you know, not always on purpose, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so like I feel like you should if you're going to hand wave that do it in favor of the players most of the time. Sure. Um, on Reddit, Lost Ranger 17 said, I think it depends on the encounter. If I have a large or particularly complex encounter planned, I'll usually use a grid. If it's one of those scenarios where my players pick a fight that I wasn't expecting, then I often use theater of the mind. Of course, collecting minis can also get a bit expensive. Definitely. And yeah. I think if you even go back to our very first episode, we talk about my approach to minis, which is I don't have minis. Right. We, so you yeah. <laughs> just use dice. They're yeah. conveniently uh, like standard dice sizes conveniently about, you know, will fit into a grid. Right. Just right. Fine. Uh, and also one I should mention on Reddit. Um, Reddit user Make Me Beautiful Duet said, I choose the third option, combating super hands in real life. It's way better, and you get real hand-to-hand combat experience. Hashtag, we want Lisa to talk about her dog on the podcast. <laughs> that is uh, it's my wife, everybody, trying to get me to uh, is it, talk about our dog on the podcast. Is that Lisa's handle there? It's, it's one of them, yeah. Okay, it's one of them. <laughs> uh, and, although people were suggesting uh, on the... On the uh, uh, the stream for dog cam. Not going to happen. So instead of a, instead of a webcam on the <laughs> controls, we have a webcam where we're just super on the dog. Just, yeah. 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 That's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, and then on the, uh, um, on the discord, David E said, I tend to use grid for combat. My players think a lot more tactically when they can see where everyone is. Mm-hmm. That's really the best advantage of, of combat of, of the, the, ta- the battle grid. You can, you can get as tactical as you want because you can see exactly where everybody is. Yeah. King J exe also said, I like the grid. I feel like I can see and understand what's going on better. Even if it's just a tool to assist theater of the mind. Yeah. As a player, I still try crazy stuff and don't feel limited. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I like that. I like that the most. Cause it's like, it's, it's not, it's not so much that I prefer grid over theater of mind. It's mm-hmm. just like, I feel like grid should be used, should, you know, be often used as a tool to mm-hmm. assist theater of the mind. Yeah. And then uh, finally, our last one from the uh, Discord is Blub Sternchen. Yeah. <laughs> said, we mostly use theater of the mind, but sometimes roughly map it out on a blank sheet of paper just so it's a little clearer where everyone stands. There's a lot of, could I reach them in my turn? Uh, Yeah, sure. Involved. And a constant state of confusion about feet and how many meters that is. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, so those were all, those were a, a good portion of the responses. I mm. do recommend everybody go check out, especially Facebook got so many responses. Twitter, we got responses from people that I don't even think follow our show. Just people that like saw it, you know, I put hashtag whatever on there. Huh. And so we got a couple of people that responded that I don't think I've ever seen. Maybe they'll start listening to the show. Cool. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so then that brings us to our social media question for this week. Mm. Have you ever played a character with a psychosis. Mm. So I guess you can define that however you like. Maybe your character has an obsession with something. Maybe your character has a split personality. Yeah. Maybe your character has an irrational fear. You know, talking short-term madness, long-term madness, permanent madness. There is a permanent madness table. <laughs> it's right next to the long-term madness. I've never looked at it because I've been so distracted by the long-term madness table. <laughs> so have you ever played a character like that? Um, I had an idea for a character. It was it was an Ebron campaign that we never played, but it was one you 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 wrote um you wrote some fiction on it, I wanna say. It was way back. Um, there was a there was a Warforged I was making that, oh, yeah, yeah. that was going to be he was going to have a doll that he talked to. Okay. And I don't know if it was going to be specific, like if it was going to like, 
the the idea was like he was a he is a he's an artificer. He was an artificer. He was a warforged. He made toys. Mm. He made toys for children, and then by some accident or or another, uh, like a young girl died. Oh, or something like one of the, a young girl that like really liked his toys, like end up dying or going missing or something. Mm-hmm. And like he started like talking to one of the dolls as if it was her. Okay. And was going to like, you know, go crazy in some way or become obsessed with this doll and like protect it like it was, his, you know, a child or something like that. Because like, yeah, you know, it wasn't fully fleshed out, but either like he was going to be felt felt responsible for it or maybe he was somehow responsible for mm. it even though if even if it wasn't intent intentional yeah you know it was going to be like this it was going to be a doll that he would talk to and like you know hold you know keep protected and like at all costs basically because he thought he thought the the girl like was trapped in the doll or mm-hmm. something yeah yeah um i actually didn't realize that that's what that i remember that you coming up with that character mm-hmm. And I know that we never actually started that campaign. I did write a thing about that. I was going to be playing a shifter fighter rogue that then had a human cohort. And the human cohort was going to be me transported into Eberron somehow. <laughs> and I so I wrote a story. The first half was from the fighter rogues uh, point of view. And then the other half was... Uh, from my from my point of view, yeah, basically. from your from your personal point of view, as yes. if you were like shunted into the world of Eberron. Right, right. Yeah, I was. That's I, funny. I was really looking forward to that campaign. There was a different Eberron campaign though that I thought you were referencing that Jay ran, where each of us the the premise for the campaign was that each of us had some sort of a psychosis. That's the whole inspiration for this question, because uh, we had just finished our big Eberron campaign, where yeah. at the end of the campaign. The city of Sharn oh. was attacked by a bunch of Dalkir, which yeah. have an aura of madness. And so the idea was going to be that everybody, a lot of people in the city had some sort of a residual effect of that. Mm-hmm. And I think you started playing, you, you played with us like one session and it was after we started. So maybe you don't remember it. Huh. But my character was upset. He had these two daggers, basically. They were kukris, but he had these two daggers and he was obsessed with them and he talked to them and he thought that they were. Like he thought that they talked back. Okay. Um, we had another person in the group that she was playing like a sorcerer or something that was like obsessively vain. I don't remember much more of the details. There was a friend of ours that was in our group that he, um, his character was like a sex addict. I remember this now. And then you, <laughs> I, I do remember you started, play, you played with us. I think it was only one session, but your character had split personalities Oh. And you were a, you were a changeling who one of your personalities was a little kid who was like making up a superhero. who was like writing a story about a superhero and he would unknowingly transform into the superhero and then go fight. Crime. Oh, I remember this now because yeah. there, there was a, uh, there was a class or a prestige class or something it's like the vigilante or something. Yeah. It, it was basically a class where you were like, you were kind of underpowered, but mm-hmm. then you had like this form that you went into where you oh. became like a champion or something. Oh, is that what it was? I think so. Okay. Because I, I, I remember Jay, Jay showed it to me and, and we talked. I, yeah, I remember that. That's actually from the guy that made Order of the Stick. Because like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this was like Jay, like Jay was like, oh, you should play this. And I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. And he's like, yeah, and you should be, you could be like a kid who, is, who becomes a superhero. I'm like, maybe that's, oh, okay. you could be like, I could be like, uh, uh, I thought it was Sam or, you know, I thought it was explicitly Batman when it was going on, but, oh. uh, but, but maybe, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. I don't know. There, there was another character I played. It was like, it was my Shackle City character hmm. was supposed to be like Batman-y. I was, oh. I was trying to make, I, one of them was, 
We've played Shackled City several we have, times. We have so. tried a few times. Anyway, so if anybody out there uh, has played a character with a, a psychosis, we would love to hear some stories about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and we will cover that next episode. Um, all right. So we're getting real late in this episode. I wanted this to be a shorter one, but uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Let us uh, take a deep breath. <coughs> oh, no. And let's cough another log onto the funeral pyre. <laughs> All right. So we have a short, uh, a fairly short one here from J does DW from on Reddit <laughs> head crushed by a fumbled flail turned into an undead monster to chase down party members later became Eidolon and had to play him in three more campaigns because of my schedule being variable. But he's got his own entry in the homebrew source book, so that's nice. <laughs> so I guess his character died and then came back as an undead monster and then eventually became a, like, recurring monster in their homebrew setting. Sure. Okay. Like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> it's like a, like it's a legendary zombie, basically. I, I guess, yeah. Uh, all right. So um, I guess let's raise a glass in memory of the monster on page 34. Clink. Clink. I could have said the monster at the end of this book. No, anyway. anyway. Oh. <laughs> well, I think that'll do it for today. To submit questions for us to discuss, items for the Dragon's Horde, or stories for the Funeral Pyre, please email us at interpartyconflict at gmail.com. For show notes, links to media mentioned on the show, and running lists of questions and magic items, go to interpartyconflict.com. Join the discussion on social media. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash interpartyconflict, our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash interpartyconflict, or on Twitter at inpartyconflict, or on our Discord. Discord. Contact us if you are not sure how to find that, because I don't know the address offhand. Check those sources for weekly social media discussion questions. Your answers might end up on the show. Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, YouTube, anywhere you download podcasts. Please rate, review, subscribe, or just tell a friend. If you'd like to support the show, check out the rewards at patreon.com slash interpartyconflict. There's a few different tiers, so anything you can spare, even a dollar a month, would go towards making the show better, and you'll get bonus content for it. Jeff, tell us about FriendQuest. FriendQuest is a YouTube channel where we play video games. We are... We actually just... Well, I think we finished Jet Force Gemini. <laughs> Riff seems to disagree. I'm... Ha- it's It's... Oh man, I, I, it's it's a fun game. I'm having a rough time with yeah. it, and like, in order to beat it, you have to go through a, so much crazy stuff. Oh, gotcha. But I feel like we've done enough of it for now. We'll, we'll probably move on to something else. <laughs> sure, I'm sure. Thinking about Zelda. Oh, okay. I think we might go through all of the 3D Zeldas. All right. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. Uh, if you'd like to submit some of your childhood memories of going to the arcade, you can write them to me in an email or record it yourself or and send it to me at arcadememoriespodcast at gmail.com. By the time this episode goes out, I believe the second and possibly last episode of the Arcade Memories podcast may be out. Mm. I say possibly last just because I've used up all my material. Sure. So if I get more stuff, I'll keep coming out with episodes. But right. for the time being, you know, I think it's two good, solid episodes. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, you can also head over to bit.ly slash interpartyconflict to take a short survey about our show, what you like, what you don't like, etc. And just for taking it, you'll get two free printable board games courtesy of Mary and Tom over at hollandspiel.com. And our music is made by Boxcat Games from Nameless the Hackers RPG. So, Jeff, until next time. Wait, Jeff? What? Wait, what's going on? I, I was ending the podcast. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh... Uh, bye. (laughs) Bye.